We hope you're enjoying The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. The following podcast is something a little different. Our organization recently celebrated its 30th anniversary, and we have a treasure trove of inspiring and practical stories that we want to share with you. We will be releasing these in a variety of formats on this feed periodically, and we hope you enjoy it. Let us know what you think. Email radio at Bioneers.org or tweet to us at Bioneers. You can also explore our videos and articles online at Bioneers.org. We're currently witnessing a national and international uprising, demanding an end to the systemic racism that enabled the unforgivable police murder of George Floyd and many other black men and women. The following is part of a series of short episodes we'll be sharing in support of this movement for change. At the Bioneers Conference in 2016, we spoke with visionary law professor and changemaker Kimberly Crenshaw. A respected attorney, Crenshaw popularized the concept of intersectionality and was instrumental in the creation of the hashtag SayHerName campaign to raise awareness about the many women and girls who are killed by the police. Well, in 2014, our organization, the African American Policy Forum, was participating, like many racial justice organizations, in the protests over the wrath of, of killings uh, of African Americans. Eric Garner, Mike Brown, Tamir Rice, they were just coming in, you know, quick succession. And as we were participating in these protests and marches, we would go to them with a banner that had the names of women who were killed by the police, like Michelle Cousseau, Tanisha Anderson. These are two women that were killed within weeks of Mike Brown and Tamir Rice, but people didn't know their names. So as we would march, and you know, the marches are tremendously powerful moments where communities come together to grieve and, and express their outrage about the fact that this has happened and that at that moment, no one is being held accountable. So, you know, we have chance, like we're shutting this down for Mike Brown. I mean, you know, it lifts them up and it propels the movement forward. So we would try to say something about, you know, we're saying no to the death of Michelle Cousseau or something like that. And people were like, what are you talking about? Folks were either unaware that Black women were also among the Black bodies that were piling up, or if they were aware of it, they just thought, this is a different issue. This is about Black men being killed by the police. It's not about Black women being killed by the police. So we literally were saying, say her name, say her name. And that became a hashtag around rallies, around moments where women were killed. When we heard another woman was killed, we'd tweet, say her name, put a picture, talk about the case. We came finally to understand that one of the reasons I believe that we are generally unaware of this is that where you don't have frames to uh, hold certain narratives, it's hard to hold on to the facts. Communications experts say 
when you don't have frames that fit the facts, people reject the facts. They forget the facts. They can't hold the facts. Well, the frame on state-sanctioned violence against Black people is one that comes largely out of our history. It's one that is really informed by lynching. It's informed by the idea of the state suppressing Black men. It's informed by the idea of a conflict between hypermasculinity and the organized state effort to contain it. And there's a part of that that's true. It is the case that um, the history of state violence against Black men has largely been articulated in terms of their being hyper-masculine, almost animalistic. But what that fails to recognize is there's, there's also been experiences that Black women have with state violence, racist violence. That's particular to being a Black person who's a woman. And that ranges from sexual abuse. Actually, sexual abuse is the second most common complaint against police officers. But you wouldn't know it because the frame is not about the ways that women encounter state violence. It's about the ways that men encounter it. So we thought it was important as we began to say these names to broaden the frameworks, to talk about the circumstances under which Black women also lost their lives. And that drew us to deal with the fact that many Black women lose their lives when they're having a mental health crisis and the police are called in, either by them or by their family members, and they end up being killed. That's what happened to Tanisha Anderson in Cleveland a week or so before Tamir Rice. It's what happened to Michelle Cousseau in Arizona a week or so after Mike Brown. They're killed in their homes many times. It's not so much a public situation like uh, Eric Carner being killed on the sidewalk. Maya Hall and Kayla Moore in particular, Kayla Moore was killed in her own in her own apartment. She was swarmed by the police and ultimately died from asphyxiation. So the scale and the ways that Black women are vulnerable have to do with the exposure to police. If you are more exposed to police as a Black woman, the chances that you might end up being injured or killed by them is greater. And so if we look at all the intersections that impact Black women, more likely to be poor, more likely to be homeless, uh, more likely to be system involved, more likely to have untreated mental health issues or untreated drug dependency, and frankly, more likely to be involved in domestic disturbances when the police come. These are all moments of vulnerability that contribute to the reasons why so many Black women are killed by the police. So we wanted to broaden the frame so people could see it to better think about what kind of interventions would be appropriate. So Say Her Name really took off, and some groups that had been doing work on police violence and including some of the women, like Black Youth Project in Chicago, had been organizing um, around Rakia Boyd. They picked up the frame, um, Say Her Name. Activists in Oakland picked up the frame, Say Her Name. So like intersectionality, it became a frame to capture work that people were doing and bring it all together under a sort of common rubric. That's kind of how movements work. You know, lots of different people are trying in various spaces 
places to address something, but it really takes off when there's an ability to aggregate all of these individual moments or uh, city-based issues with something that is a broader framework so that all of the ways that these issues are connected becomes part of how people think and talk about the issue. And I'll, I'll speak more specifically about, you know, the fact that many of the people who've been killed by the police are people who are facing either physical or emotional or cognitive disabilities. Yet, for the most part, when this issue is discussed, the fact that these are people who have disabilities is just not part of the conversation uh, from many different uh, vantage points. So even the disability rights movement is, you know, now beginning to talk more about the vulnerability of people with disabilities to police violence. But the ability to think about how that intersects with race and racism is at this point still underdeveloped. And I would say, you know, the same problem exists with uh, simply a race-based frame. So part of this is what can we learn about the about the overall problem of police violence if we put disability, we put race, and we put gender together. And some of the things that we learn will tell us about vulnerability that all people face. Like when when a person who is autistic or a person who can't hear is shot because police say they weren't following orders. That's clearly telling you that many people are killed simply because police interpret their failure to follow an order as constituting a deadly threat to them, right? So we learn both about, gee, the people who really are vulnerable are people who cannot respond or do not, are, are not aware of the danger that they're in. But that also tells us that many of these other cases where the police are saying, well, we had to use deadly force are probably also not true. So having an intersectional awareness of vulnerability not only is important to include all the people who have all of these vulnerabilities, but it also helps us think about the overall problem much more clearly so that we can push back against some of the justifications for the things that happen to people. You can hear more from Kimberly Crenshaw in the Bioneers episode titled Backlash Moment, Converging at the Crossroads of Identity and Justice. You can subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform, and please share episodes you like. Thanks for listening.